Welcome back to another episode of Resilient and Rowdy. This is your host, Jess, and today I've got a special guest named Jason today, and he's a veteran and law enforcement officer. He's super intelligent, has a really interesting mindset, and has a lot of novel things to share that can benefit everyone. So, Rowdy Podcast audience, welcome Jason. Jason, hello! Hey, hey, I don't know about that whole intelligent thing. I think I'm just old. <laughs> just old. Oh, may- no, maybe maybe you were on a box of, um, you know, that like little silver like touch up thing for men. It's like intelligent and experienced. Exactly. And there you go. And I'm not saying I don't use it, but hey, you know. <laughs> oh, what's it called? It's called touch of gray. There it is. Touch of gray. That's what exactly what it is. Touch of intelligence. There you go. I just see your headshots and I'm just like, yes, experienced, intelligent, touch of Hello, the most interesting man on the podcast right now. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself. You know, I usually do a 45 second back brief on who I am, but I think maybe I'll go a little more in depth. I think it was 28 years ago. I went into the U.S. Army. I was 20 years old. Mm. So I was thinking about that today. I'm like, man, what is it about me? What what was a deciding moment in my life? And it would probably have to be, you know, joining the army and, you Mm. know, getting away from my small little town. Because I grew up near the Appalachians in New Jersey, just growing up and and getting out of there and and getting to see things, man. That's really kind of what who I am now, is just trying to get as much experience as I possibly can. From the Army to law enforcement to anything, you know, for 28 of those years, I've one way or the other, I've been serving, whether that's active duty reserves or, or law enforcement. So, yeah, a lot of the stuff I did really does help out to who I became. Mm. But you know, most of my life, I've always been working on this professional resume. And that's why you'll see like this ton of background, whether that's like the different agencies I worked for, education I got, uh, deployments or anything else. I've always been working on a professional resume, personal resume now. Mm. So what I do now, I'm not trying to build anything about my my experience that's going to go on a piece of paper to get me a, another job or money or anything else like that. Now I'm doing stuff that's fun. And that's why you'll see me talking about different topics that, you know, from burn pits, toxic exposure to human trafficking, to getting hired by the federal government. I, you know, I talk about things that are going to help other people, but also things that I'm, I'm interested in. So I'm trying. Yeah, exactly. And I'm really impressed by that too, especially the sense in um, how you said like helping other people get into that. But um, it's always really cool to see like a jack of all trades because um, more commonly we see, you know, someone stick to a specific niche. But with you, it's you're, you've got a little bit of something everywhere. And I, that's what I really enjoy because I'm I can be this a similar way, just like, you know, there's a lot of things I'm interested in um, and a lot of things that I'm passionate in. And I don't want to just choose one. So you shouldn't have to. And, you know, that's one thing I do notice about you. You have a lot of good things going on. And you're very outspoken. And that's the biggest thing you have to be is just be outspoken and Mm. talk about what you are passionate about. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like um, now that I've like kind of learned that about myself, it's being outspoken in the right ways because I know sometimes I can get very passionate and it can come off as like angry (laughs) or intense. And so, you know, you know, as a professional and also personally, I want to fix that because if I can communicate that better, my message will come across instead of the emotions first. It's the message fueled by my emotions type of thing. Yeah, emotions, it's really tough. And, you know, 
but it it helps it helps be emotional about something yeah i um one thing the military did give me was it, it gave me the opportunity to get a lot of a lot of education <laughs> so mm-hmm. i got my i got my bachelor's with the first gi bill the, the pre-9-11 gi bill um then i with the post-9-11 gi bill i finished up a master's in forensic science and then i i used the rest of my money and i got a doctorate yeah that's so, so I, cool it's crazy. Look at you, and you're really humble about how educated you are. And it's not really just your education, but like I feel like you're how you keep an open mindset, as well as you know you do learn and discover a lot of heavy things. So how is that for you? It's really good because he's you know I, one of the reasons I went into the army was I always wanted to be a soldier. I always wanted mm-hmm. to be a cop, but I really sucked at college. Before I went in the army, I like F's. I barely graduated high school. I had a broken childhood. Mm. Um, but now it's like, you know, that the military thing really focused me. And, you know, the, the deployment, I did a tour in Iraq, and that really focused me when I got back. It made me really, like, say, you know what? What is my legacy? And what is that going to be for, like, my kids, you know? Because I'm, I'm a dad, too. So it's like I want my legacy to be something that's decent. Yeah. And if I'm an asshole, you know. It's, it's not going to work. Yeah, I hear that. I absolutely hear that. And even even though I'm currently not sure, um, <laughs> I'm, I, I mean, I love children, but once you bring children into the world, it does really make you think about um, like how you've lived your life, how you're currently living it. And like you said, what you want to leave behind, not just your kids, but that legacy, that, that, um, that emotion, that kind of, uh, like kind of general consensus of like the people that you've, you know, inspired, come across, mentored, met throughout your life. Like, what are they going to say and feel when they're like, wow, like I was, I was honored to meet this man instead of, you know, saying so many other things. It's just like, yes, he is a jack of all trades. He has so many passions, you know, instead of, you know, saying like, oh, that guy's a huge, like, douchebag or something like that yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's um, a big dick yeah and i've done i've done shitty things and a lot of it has to do with when i'm when i've been drinking booze and that's a whole another episode of oh yeah you know, my struggles with that stuff yeah i'm so proud of you by the way you've you've gone clean and you've lost some weight you're i mean you've really done a a good turnaround with your life and and i feel like that's good i feel like as a as a man as a dad as a partner you probably um feel like a lot better with that that change yeah, you know, um, and that's one thing I, I always like to tell people. I'm like, you know, I've been drinking since I was 13. Mm. And, you know, uh, in August of last year, I stopped. Um, and I've drank four and a half times. I call it four and a half times since then. Because um, I went to, mm. I, I went for a long hike and I had a half a beer. And I was like, oh, this really isn't that good. I'm going to consider mm. that five times. Okay. But uh, out of those four times, it wasn't good. So I'm yeah. like, I'm going to stick away from not drinking for a while. Yeah. Um, and just focus, you know, focus on things that I'm passionate about. And like, I'd love to have another conversation, like nice in-depth conversation about trafficking mm. one day. If you really want to know who I am, I'll go a little bit more in depth. So I, um, you know, when I got out of college, I was going to go back active duty. My goal was to go SF, uh, and go through the whole pipeline. Mm-hmm. And I was, that's why I commissioned as an infantry officer. But then I got an opportunity to go into the U S border patrol. Um, and, and be stationed with my best friend because my best friend from the army and I actually did so I went into the border patrol I did that for a while I did some really cool things in there I was on an all-terrain vehicle unit which is 
I mean, I got paid to drive ATVs at midnight. Uh, That's at so San cool. Diego, so I mean, <laughs> yeah. Then I went to work for um, an agency called U.S. Customs Service as a special agent. They eventually become Homeland Security Investigations. Mm-hmm. But I got to work counter trafficking. I mean, uh, counter narcotics trafficking, and a lot of it was like part of an undercover group for some years. And then I got recalled. Um, and when I got recalled, I went to Benning. I went to Benning for like three months, and they had no idea what they were going to do with us. No. Um, yeah, they put me in charge of all these E4s and below. <laughs> so I'm like the only <laughs> officer. Well, I had another officer with me at the time. Oh, that's so good. they had like 90 11 Bravos. And uh, I was like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do with these guys? I'm like, mm. they pulled us all in from civilian life. And you know, when you're enlisted, you have that eight-year commitment. But when you're an officer, it's, it's lifetime until you mm. resign your commission. Oh man, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, that's one of those things. So they, they sent us all down to Camp Shelby, Mississippi next. And uh, anybody who could pass a PT test got promoted to E5. So a lot of those E4s with E5. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that was the summer of 2005. So that's when Hurricane Katrina happened. So we were at Camp Shelby, Mississippi when the hurricane happened. Oh. So we were in these little crappy barracks, like 1950s barracks. And like the one next to us, a tree took it out. Nobody was inside. I mean, it was crazy times. Then they hooked me up with, they put me in a, a, a National Guard unit, an artillery one, sent me to Kuwait. And then from Kuwait, I got four deployed because I, I took a 40-hour course in anti-terrorism. Okay. And that got me sent to CJ Soda, which was the Combined Joint Special Operations Task Force, to be their anti-terrorism dude. Wow. So I did that until, uh, until I got redeployed. So 18-month deployment. Uh, and then I, I found a job to be closer to home because as soon as I got back from the war, my oldest brother died. Oh, uh, yeah, he was a, he was, you know, and that's the thing is like, if you really want to know about me, you know, my, before I went to the war, I was working drugs, um, putting like really like high level people in jail. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I moved my oldest brother out to San, San Diego to put him in rehab okay. and uh, get him straight because he was, he was, you know, he started off with marijuana as a kid, but then he got into cocaine and then oh, yeah. he was a boxer, so he's doing cocaine and ephedra. So it gave himself a heart attack. So I moved him out to, to San Diego. I put him in rehab. He walked out of rehab, um, ended up getting him into a halfway house. He ended up getting hooked on a pipe, doing crystal. Mm. Um, and then I got recalled, so I couldn't care for him anymore. So then when I got recalled, he became homeless. And uh, when I got back from the war, he was in jail. So... Uh, one day I got a call, you know, this is right after I got back from the war and it was like a week and a half after my birthday in January. And, uh, you know, the warden called, uh, one of the lieutenants left a message said, call me. So I called him. He said, your brother's dead. He had a massive heart attack. And, uh, here's where he... So at that point I had to find a job a little bit closer to home. So mm-hmm. I went to, I got a job with the army again, this time as a civilian criminal investigations uh, division special agent working the uh, Guantanamo Bay investigations. So cool. Uh, wow. Trying to do prosecution packets. I was yeah. here in DC. I mm-hmm. looked really good back then too, man. I was working out uh, a lot better than I look now. Oh, hush. Well, I'm really sorry about that with your brother. Mm-hmm. And thank you for sharing that, by the way. Um, how, how do you kind of settle with those uh, events like currently? If you don't mind me asking. 
Oh, about like my you, brother. Yeah, like you don't. You, I hope you don't blame yourself. Like I, I see. No, I, I that did. you I did. you helped I, him, but you can only do so much. And yeah, and I, well, that's one of my guilt. You know, and a lot of us have that war guilt and the guilt right. that we could have done more. That's one. Of, that's that is one of the reasons I do a, a lot more than as much as I can to help yeah. other people. Because I'm like, you know, it's like a fail. It's not really. I can't consider it a failure. Um, but the things that happened at him and the things that happened in the jail, mm. uh, didn't sit well, will never sit well with me because, right. you know, with him having a massive heart problem, they were letting him play basketball and he literally had a, a heart attack playing basketball. Oh man. And you know, when they gave me his stuff, when I went to pick it up, they threw all of his stuff into a plastic bag, like his commissary and everything. Cause you know, when mm. you go to jail, you get commissary. Right. And that means like, you know, you can get, and he had like Cheez-Its for some, I'm always going to remember this. He had a box of Cheez-Its and they literally poured him out in there with his Bible and everything else. And I'm like, you know, he's a human being. Yeah. And you know, at this time I've been in law enforcement for 16 years, but that's the thing is I think we should have cultural geography as part of policing. Yeah. You know, you have to, you have to understand what's going on. That has to be part of either in the Academy or, and more importantly in the field training office. Where you know you're rolling your windows down, you're going down, you're talking to the people in the community, and you know what's going yeah. on. Yeah, it yeah. Shouldn't be an us against them. It it really should be. Yeah, I'm not sure if you listened to the episode with War Bear. Please don't. <laughs> but we we did talk about community policing, and he did actually suggest that you know, like you said, um, and when you you know you're seeing the faces of the people that you're serving, and you know that maybe you live with. Not every officer like lives in the same city or town, but you know, like it gives you that personable feel, and it it reminds you of why you're doing it. It's not for you know, your ego complex or, you know, this level of control. It's like, Hey, you're here to serve and protect. Remember the people, you know, back home and the family you want to come home to, you want to do good and stop crime or deescalate like dangerous activity or violence. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just can't really simplify that job because there's so many things that you could do, but I feel like some people just think that or would assume it's like, okay, you put on your uniform, you put on your vest, you got your, your weapon and you're just out here just shooting folks. Like, no, that's, that's not the intention. And that's not the point of policing. And unfortunately media has kind of put it out as that. So I appreciate your perspective and you kind of talking about that. It's like, Hey, no, remember it's, you know, for the kids, for the community, that's your community period. You're going to want to do good. You're going to want to protect it. Um, So I, I really enjoy when I see, um, the local police department getting together and doing drives like for car seats. Hey, you've got an expired car seat. Instead of, you know, just giving that person a ticket, how about we, mm-hmm. we have a, a, a fundraiser or a drive where you can donate your old car seat and get a new one and, you know, better that relationship with the community instead of just writing tickets left and right and just kind of saying, hey, it's a your problem. you got to fix it. Um, you know, if you don't, I'm going to give you an, an expensive ticket or put you in, in jail. It's a more of like, hey, we care about you. We care about your safety. We care about your kids, the future. So let's just do you this solid and improve community relations this way. So I'm really glad you mentioned that because. Um, well, how about this too? How about we take money out of policing? A lot of times there's a lot of small districts, a lot of small towns use um, tickets as a way to support their economy. Mm. And while granted that may be a, it might help somewhere along the line, but that means the police are out there trying to issue more tickets than they are actually 
being part of the community. Yeah. And that's the same way with our penal system. You know, I, I was frustrated when my brother died, he, he was in a county facility, but you know, I, those county facilities still charge money for bed and housing and everything yeah. else. I mean, like take the money out of, out of housing, housing the uh, people who are, you know, quote unquote criminals, because, you know, the prison system and the jail system and everything is very, a lot of people don't understand about how much money they make on how many bodies they have in beds in their system. So that's, yeah. Uh, and that's not yeah. right. That's not right. That's not the point. Nope. I feel like we're missing the point of it, but, um, but yeah, again, thank you for touching on these things. It's, it's really not what we're really, I'm not hearing it on the news. You know, I'm very grateful to have that education background, but for our audience, yes, these are some really great crucial points that need to be known. Yeah. You know? like, well, that's kind of, that's why I always bring this kind of stuff up. Cause that's who I am. I'm not mm-hmm. like, I always say I'm a, I'm a 21 year LEO and I'm a veteran and I'm this and I'm that, but you know, in reality, I'm just, I'm like everybody else. Yeah. You know, I just, I like to look into things and I like to, I believe in a community. Yeah. You know, someone asked me what they're like, you know, you have a thin blue line uh, flag and I'm like, the thin blue line to me is not considered um, to me is not considered a, a wall of silence or a line of silence. Okay. It's a line. It's a very thin line between you, the law enforcement officer, and evil and the public. And oh. that line is supposed to put you in front of the evil and keep that evil away from the community. Because there really is truly evil people out there. We know that. I yeah, mean, absolutely. There are really evil people out there. And that's what the job of law enforcement is supposed to do. Enforce the laws that keep evil away. Yeah. And if you want to, and you know more, I mean, you know, but if anybody Googles my name, they're going to, the first thing they're going to see is Jason Piccolo whistleblower. So, you know, I'll, I'll talk when it comes to that thin blue line doesn't really equate as a wall of silence to me. Yeah. Well, I just, I personally, um, I'm really thankful for that description because I feel as if, um, others have told me, or described it in a different way. And um, I, I really liked it the way you described it a lot better. Yeah, the thin blue line, the way others have described it in the past, made it, you know, about themselves. But the way that you described it is exactly the way that policing, um, you know, law enforcement and the like should be. And I feel like we need to get people on the, that same page. Because I feel like once we kind of like talk about that, or at least describe it the way you did, it's in a way better mannerism and perspective than, you know, what's currently put out there. Um, I usually hear the whole, like, oh, the thin blue line is about me. I'm a protector. I'm a wolf with sheep dog. You know, that kind I of stuff. I don't like that stuff at all. That, <laughs> that's the thing is, like, listen, um, my, and my definition when I started this, my show, The Protectors, mm. has changed since the beginning. Yeah. It used to be those who run towards danger. Mm-hmm. And that would be emergency responders, veterans, police, law enforcement, um, and those that support them. But now yeah. it, a protector is you. A protector is everybody. It will protect another person. Yeah. And a lot of times that's protecting your family. Wow. You know, And we're not talking about physical things here. We're talking about you're going to run to danger. 
if something was happening to my child, I would run towards them regardless if I wore a badge or if I had anything else. So I'm a protector. I don't yeah. like the sheepdog thing. Yeah. I, I, for some reason, I just don't like that. Yeah, that, like... that phrase is a little... Um... I'm I'm not sure what to say about it, but yeah, I think we. It's just like it gives you like a weird feeling. It's kind of like okay. Yeah, I like to call it what it is. It's evil. Yeah, there are wolves out there, they're evil, and a sheepdog is. To me, a sheepdog is one person, and if you're going to defeat evil, you have to defeat evil as a team. Yeah, there is no, and that's why the, there's another symbol. It's a, it's an asterisk and a one. It's one asterisk, one asterisk, and I'm like, that's not really it. You know, when you're risking yourself and when you're part of a team, because nothing happens in law enforcement unless you're part of something bigger than yourself. There is no one agency out there with one person. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And and as much as, you know, you feel like, oh, maybe I'm the only one that can do this. Like you said, working in a team, you know, for example, you just have one person doing a different job and you all collaborate together and you just shut mm-hmm. it down, like completely instead of one person doing multiple things. Um, mm. I can say that as a leader and as a teammate, learning to delegate tasks is is like one of the best things that you can learn early on because you cannot do it all by yourself. I mean, you can definitely make some moves, you can make waves, but you will be stronger as a team, like you said. So yeah, I think you kind of covered that like uncomfortable feeling that we get whenever <laughs> we hear that I'm a wolf and... Yeah. <laughs> But also what I remembered I was going to say was I really don't like this, the negative connotation as well with whistleblowers. Just again, I see you as just speaking the truth and, you know, you are a very protective person, but not just for yourself, for everyone else. And I really admire that one, uh, you know, how you are like as a man, as a person, but also you are a family man, you have children. And I feel like um, that, that really, I, I feel like I have a lot of young friends and people my age that are having kids and they're like, oh my gosh, Jess, you sound a little paranoid. And I'm just like, nah, girl, I've seen some shit. Like, trust <laughs> me. So yes, just again, thank you, Jason, for just coming on and speaking your truth and and just being unafraid to be yourself. Um, like you, like I said, you're, you're a jack of all trades. You're doing a little bit here everywhere, but you are making moves. And I think you're an extraordinary dude. Um so next time you come on, I'd love for you to talk about the whistleblowing, um, human trafficking, especially because I mean, yeah, people post too much on Instagram. I'm just going to say yeah. that. And, and even, and just more, uh, again, I really value your perspective. And I think at this time and age, we, we kind of need to hear from, from someone who's really been in this for a minute to kind of like make folks more comfortable. You know, you can joke around and say like, F the police, but are you really, you know, did you take him on a date? Did you buy him dinner? <laughs> like we got to do our, our, our right as citizens. And, you know, actually anyways, <laughs> oh, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So again, Jason, thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we um, close out momentarily? No, if anybody wants to know anything more about me, just go to Instagram at Dr. Jason Piccolo and check out my YouTube. I'm really trying to build up my YouTube and that's the uh, the protector life. No, the protector show. Okay. So go to YouTube, the protector show. Or you can just find my links are all on Instagram. So yes, and I will link that for the audience here. So Jason, thank you again, Rowdy Gang. This is Jason, veteran, LEO, super experienced, touch of gray, 
um hit him up and definitely check out that youtube channel and jason um thank you again and hopefully we can um have you back on maybe next week or so very soon to uh, touch on those other other topics all right rowdy gang i hope you enjoyed that episode with jason if you have any questions comments concerns before we record next week Please get those questions and all sent in, whether it's through my email, resilient.rowdy at gmail.com, or hit me up on Instagram and send me a message with some of the questions that you have for Jason and I, or just Jason, and we'll get that covered for you before he comes on next week for his deep discussion about human trafficking and a whole lot of other corrupt sick stuff (laughs) uh, happening within our own country so get your questions comments concerns in and if you want to know more about Jason be sure to hit him up on his Instagram Dr. Jason Piccolo or his YouTube channel The Protectors Uh, thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next week